church. Great to see you all this morning. I trust everyone is well and good. It is great to be here this morning. And what an amazing morning doing the dedication as well. Isn't it a lovely time, a lovely time to be in church? Um, just as we were in the worship and um, I, I think my wife mentioned we've got five children and Oh, sorry. Can youth, can you go out? It's your time. Cheers. Um, yeah, so I'm stood in the worship, and we're incredibly blessed because all of our children are in the church with us. We've got a couple of them playing in the band, and we've got the other three on the front row sat with us. And I wasn't really thinking of that. I've just got Sophie stood next to me. And I, as a father, I love coming to church with my family. I think it's one of the greatest blessings that, that we have is to bring our children to church. You know, I, I know that the world has gone down that route of going shopping on a Sunday and doing a whole load of different things, getting the carcher out and washing the car and maybe cleaning the house and who knows what they do on a Sunday. But for me, I think the greatest thing is that God has set this day aside for us. He set this day aside for us. What an honor to come. And I just had a moment and I just threw my arms around Sophie. I sometimes do it to the kids in the middle of the worship. And just, just loving on it, just letting her know I, I love you. I love you. And it's an opportunity to do it, isn't it, in church? And guys, I just wanted to say to you, I pray that for you. I believe that for you, that you've got a, a long future ahead, all, all days ahead of being in church together with your family and with your children. What an amazing, amazing blessing. But there's another thing I need to say to you as well. And that is that children do incredibly stupid things. <laughs> Anyone got kids? Anyone got kids who've done something incredibly stupid? I mean, literally, I was, th I was planning my sermon, right? This is the easy bit for me. I could have filled the 40 minutes with some of this, and at this point, my children are getting nervous because they're thinking, oh my goodness, what is my dad going to say? Is he going to embarrass me in front of everyone? Is he going to tell me about all, or tell everyone about all the stupid things I've done? I'm not. Kids, you can relax. Apart from Sophie did point out that my son's playing the guitar and he's got his mobile phone rested on his guitar because he's using it for his words. I mean, this is, this is my son. I do have to say this. This is one of my sons who over the last two years has broken about three or four iPads, four or five mobile phones, umpteen lots of technology. They get a mobile phone, uh, sorry, an iPad at school. One day they will work on it. And then one day, some, you know, a kid will knock him and his bag gets dropped and it gets broke. And then another day this will happen, another day that will happen. But I was thinking about myself. And I was thinking about a time when I was a kid. And we weren't a particularly wealthy family. We were, I wouldn't say we were poor, but we weren't well off. And a kid in the 80s, it was the mid of, middle of the 80s, and anyone remember R-Texin? Anyone remember R-Texin? R-Texin was the kind of thing. If you had the kitchen R-Text, you were posh-ish, to be fair, ish. But you were posh if you had the kitchen R-Text. So my family, my mum and my stepfather, they'd gone and they'd R-Text 
the kitchen. And this guy had come in and he'd done it in this lovely swirl pattern and it was all perfect. And I was, I just started high school. I was in, uh, year, I was about 11 in year seven. And I came into, I came home from a lunch and I got home and all this artexing had been done. And I'm looking at it. The guy had been there in the morning. I don't think my mum and dad had seen it yet. And I walked over to have a little look at it. And then, you know, when, like when you get the wallpaper bubbles and you get like a bubble in it. Well, this artex had a bubble in it. There was this one little section and it was protruding out like a bubble. And for some reason, still I don't know why, I decided to put my finger in it and put this hole in the artex. So literally, I'm stood there, I'm only kind of 11, and, and I'm thinking, oh no, I've literally just put my finger through the artex. I'm thinking I've ruined the whole thing. I'm absolutely petrified. I'm dreading my mum and dad coming home and seeing it. I'm thinking, how am I going to cover it up? What am I going to do to fix this issue? Anyone been in that situation when you've done something stupid and you're thinking, I wish I could go back and change it? As it happened, it didn't matter anyway. It was just part of the art, and the guy had to come back out and fix it. But I had that afternoon in school worrying and panicking and thinking, what's going to happen when I get home? And mum and dad going, what have you put your finger through the artex for? Why have you done that? Stupid, stupid things. But kids do that, don't they? They do things that are maybe a little bit daft or a little bit stupid. But it can get worse than that because maybe some of you in here, maybe you're thinking back to some of the stupid things you've done over the years. Maybe some of those things are just daft things, like where you've made a mistake and you've broken something by accident. Maybe you've been driving along in the car and you've not been looking properly and you've kind of ended up getting a, a, park, a, a ticket for going through a, a, a light that you shouldn't have gone through or something like that. Maybe it's something worse than that. Maybe it's something you did that you didn't have done. Maybe you had a, a responsibility at work and there was something that you had to do and you didn't do it. Maybe it was, the, it was an accident, you didn't do it. Maybe it was completely and utterly negligence and you just didn't do it. Maybe you let the team down. Maybe you let the side down. Maybe it was that you, left, you, you let down a friend or a, a family member or something like that. Listen, I've got some hope for you this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about a guy in the Bible and he's a, a great character to speak on this morning, particularly because we've done a, a, a dedication this morning. The guy's name is Jacob. The guy's name is Jacob. We've talked about Jacob a few times over the last few months. And Jacob did something. He did something that had some serious consequences. But it's good to get a little bit of the background as to what happened to Jacob because there were some mitigating circumstances for Jacob. Anyone done anything stupid? Maybe it was something that was wrong and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but there was reasons why I did it. Yeah? There was reasons. I did it because of this or I did it because of that. And if only people could understand the position I was in and, and why I had to do the thing that I did. And Jacob was in that position. You see, Jacob was, was very significant in in the book of Genesis, which is the first major book in the Bible, it's one of the longest books in the Bible, more than half of the book of Genesis talks about Jacob. That sounds to me like a significant character. That sounds to me like someone that God wants to speak to us about. He wants to tell us something about the message of Jacob, about his life. He wants to bring something out from it. And one of the first things that we read about Jacob, 
was the promise that was on his life even before he was born. Now, Jacob, some of you will know if you've read the Bible, Jacob was a twin. And me and my wife, we've got twins. Our two sons that were up this morning, they're twins. And we went to a scam. Uh, Vicky will remember this well. And one of the scams we went to, that, that we're looking at the twins in the womb. It's an amazing thing to think you can see, particularly when it's twins. We'd already had a daughter anyway, and we'd seen one in the womb. But seeing two, two babies in the womb interacting with each other was just incredible, wasn't it, Vicky? It was an amazing thing. But we saw something in that, in that womb. We saw something in that picture. And it showed us, a, it was like a picture of the future. We saw the way they were interacting with each other. There was stuff going on. It was like, it was surreal seeing it. Like the one was kind of trying to almost like get on the other's knee. And then the other one's trying to push him off. We're literally watching this on the scan. It was the most amazing thing. And it was like we had an insight into their personalities and what they were going to be like when they were older. But you know, the Bible tells us that, that, that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, she had, a, a, if you like, a biblical scan. God showed her a picture of what was going on in her womb. You see, she knew something was going on in her womb. She knew something was different. Maybe it was out of the ordinary. I don't know what it was, how she knew. I'm a guy. I've never been pregnant. I don't know what it's like. But she knew such that she went and inquired of God. She went and inquired of God to ask him what was going on. What was going on? What was happening? What, what is going on in here? Why do I feel the way I feel? What, why am I getting these feelings or these thoughts? And this was even before he was born. And God showed her. God showed her what he saw. God showed Rebecca what he, God, could see in the womb and beyond and beyond the most amazing thing. The Bible says in Genesis 25, verse 21. The, the, the beginning of this verse is really important because the beginning of this verse tells us that Isaac, Rebecca's husband, loved her. He absolutely loved her. Listen to this. It says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. I know some friends who've been in that similar situation. Sure, some of you know some people like that. In those days, they wouldn't have gone for IVF. They wouldn't have gone down to doctors to have tests and to see what they could do. They would have tried and tried and tried. And if nothing had have happened, Isaac, the, the likelihood is, there's a good likelihood that Isaac would have taken a concubine and had a child through the concubine. That was the kind of thing that went on. His dad did it. His dad did exactly the same thing. But it says here that Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife. Maybe he'd seen the problems that that had caused with his dad and with his, with his own brother. It, because she was unable to have children. It says the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. goes on to say in verse 22, that, but the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, there's the biblical scam. The Lord told her, he said, the sons in your womb will become two nations. 
From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. God told Rebekah. But as far as we know, he didn't tell Isaac. There's no recording that I've found. Maybe it's in there, but I've never found it of God telling Isaac. But he told Rebecca. I'm sure Rebecca told Isaac. And it could have been the case that God told Isaac as well. But there's a reason why God majors on the fact that Rebecca was told. You see, she took it to heart. She believed in it. She believed what God had told her. And it tells us it's obvious that, that, that Isaac either didn't believe in it. Well, actually, he didn't believe in it because to believe isn't just to believe that it's true. You know, when the Bible talks about belief and faith, and you know, you can't separate belief and faith. They are, they are, belief is part of faith, and faith is part of belief. The two are entwined. You can't split them. You can't pull them apart. But to believe in the biblical sense, is to act on that belief. It's to have that conviction that what you believe is true and that you're going to do something about it, that you're going to respond to it. But Isaac didn't. Or certainly he didn't respond to it in the way that God wanted him to. And this this what's happened, what God's t- told Rebecca. If you're new to, to church, if you're new to, to, to God, and maybe you've never been a Christian before, maybe this is the first time you've even come to church, the Bible calls this prophecy. This is God telling us about something that's going to happen before it happens. Before it, has ha- it happens. And me and Vicky, we've experienced that in our life. We had a situation years and years ago. We were newly married and we, we couldn't really afford our own home. And we were struggling and we'd actually, we, we'd ended up moving in with Vicky's mum for a time. And we were praying and we were saying to God, I'd gone back to university so I was studying and I was only able to work part time at that time. And so money was tight and it was difficult. We couldn't but we were praying and we were believing to God. In fact, me and Sophie used to pray every night together that God would give us a home. And then we sat roughly over there in that part of church, in that little side over there, not in this building, in a previous building. We sat on that side and literally in the middle of the message, God said to me, and I, I turned to Vicky and God spoke to me in the message and he said, there's a house that your sister-in-law owns. I want you to go and I want you to put your hand on it and pray on it. That house is going to be yours. Now at that time, that house was promised to someone else. She had sold the house. The sale had fell through and it was being rented. Someone was going to rent that house. So we went round. The house was empty. It hadn't been rented. And I felt a bit stupid, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to, I'm kind of talking to Vicky about it and I'm thinking, is she going to think I'm stupid? And I literally, I went, but I went round to the house and I, and I stood there and I'm feel, making sure there's no one around because I'm feeling a little bit daft. And I kind of put my hand on it and I just kind of said a little prayer and claimed it, if you like. Claimed the house and a few months later we got the house. It all fell through. It happened a couple of times. Someone else came along. It, it fell through. The person who was going to rent it. Someone else came along. At that point, I'm thinking, we've got it. And then someone else came along. And I'm thinking, have I got it wrong here? But no. God hadn't got it wrong. It was absolute. And you know, that house, I'll tell you something else about that house. We, we literally, at the time we got that house, this room that could acknowledge house was a big four-bedroom house. There was only me, Vicky, and Sophie. And Vicky, we moved in, found out she was pregnant. We went through a scan, 
And it was literally right near the hospital. We walked to the scan and found, and, and I remember before we'd gone for the scan thinking, why has God given us such a big house? This house seems too big for us. We went to the scan and it was twins. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. A few years ago, about four, maybe five years ago, we, we took over the church. Tina handed the church over to myself and Vicky to, to, to steer, to steady, to, to trust. And, but not many people know, but some do, fortunately, that about three years earlier than that, God had told me it was going to happen. He'd said, you're going to take over. You're going to be leading a church. And it happened. God speaks things before they happen. I'm not saying this for me. This is not about me. This is not about me. This is about God and his promises. This message is about God and his promises. God speaks, speaks things that are going to happen before they've happened, before they've occurred. And the fruit is the evidence. The fruit is the evidence. And God spoke things over Jacob's life before he was even born. Hallelujah to that little boy, Gideon. Mighty man of God. Come on. Come on. Many of you will know what happened with Jacob. He had this promise on him. I, I, I'm going to read some verses about it, but there's not time. I mean, it's half the book of Genesis. I can't read it all, so I'm going to have to just pick a few out. But I'll give you a little overview of it, just to remind some of you, know, some of you know it. And for those who don't know the story, the, the first thing is that he before he was born, as we've already looked at. But the second thing is that it was clear and it was obvious that his dad didn't really subscribe to it. His mum did. His mum was really for him and was pushing him. But his dad, he loved the other twin. Because the other twin used to go out and hunt and bring his dad lovely food and game back. And he loved that. But Jacob was more of a homely person. So his dad didn't like that. There's the first bit of mitigating evidence, if you like, for Jacob. Jacob could have easily complained and said, but, but my dad didn't believe in me. Yeah, but my dad didn't believe in me. My dad was against me. I had it hard. My dad loved my brother more than me, and so it was really, really tough. Some of you in here will know what that's like. I had that. I had that when I was younger. My, I had a stepdad, and, and then we had a, I had a, another brother who was, he was my stepdad's true son, and my dad had gone, and, and there, was, there was that situation. They didn't even come to our wedding. <laughs> they, they kind of weren't, weren't for us. But some of you in here will know that. You'll know what that feels like to feel that you're not, you've not been believed in, to feel that people have been against you, to feel that you've had to kind of do things to, to, to get yourself up, to, to get yourself on your feet because everything's been against you, because it's been tough. And Jacob had that. He had that situation. He had a promise on his life. And here's the thing. The promise wasn't just on his life. The promise was in here. He was desperate for that promise. Jacob was hungry for the promises of God. His brother didn't care. Esau didn't care about it. I believe that's why God said he, he hated Esau. That sounds like harsh words, doesn't it? I'm not going to make any apologies or try and explain those words in the Bible. I know some preachers have tried to say, oh, it means he preferred Jacob. It doesn't mean he hated him. Listen, I don't know what it meant. But I, I do know this. God knows more than me. He knows more than me. He knows more than you. His wisdom is higher than ours. So I'm not going to try and make excuses for God or the Bible or what it says or anything like that. But here's what I've found. It works and it's true. 
and God's wisdom and his ways are higher than ours. I don't believe, here's the thing, what I will say is though, I don't believe that God hated Esau as in a continuous hatred. But I believe that it was his actions and his ways perhaps that he, he, but I'm not going to try and make excuses for it. So please, I'm not going to make any excuses for not making excuses either. Yeah, the next thing that happened is that Jacob, he had this such a desire, he bought the promise of his brother because his brother was older, so he was going to inherit the promise. There was already a promise on the family, and he went and bought it off his brother. He didn't really con him or trick him. He just took advantage of Esau's nonchalant attitude to the things of God, to God's amazing grace on his life. Esau didn't really care. Jacob took full advantage of that and bought the promise off him. So now we're in a situation where God's given him the promise. And if you're like Jacob, has gone and legally bought the promise. But he's still not home and dry yet. Because him and his mum know that here's what's going to happen at the very end. His dad at some point is going to lay hands. And he's going to pray that blessing. And that blessing, he's going to pray onto Esau and not Jacob because Isaac loved Esau, not Jacob. And Jacob decided he had to find a way to get it. His mum, and here's another mitigating factor, his mum, his mum, you've got to do this, you need to do that. If you do this, we'll sort and then do that and then just prepare this and put this on and then go and do this in front of your dad and all of this stuff. His mum, go and read the story, you'll see what I mean. His mum was a big, big part of it. Jacob might very well say, yeah, but my mum, she pushed me to do it and, and I had to, it was mine, God, and it wasn't coming to me. But here's the long and the short of it. Eventually, he went on to, to cunningly steal the promise. And again, he would mitigate himself by saying, but I was only stealing what was mine. A bit like someone stole something of yours and it's in their house and you break in to steal it back. Is that stealing or not? It's a difficult one. It's in the gray area, isn't it? Some would say it is, some would say it isn't. But here's what he did. He did it. He went and stole the promise back. He tricked his daddy, deceived him to steal that promise back. The time is in red. I'm hoping that's not how long I've gone over the time I'm allowed. It's not. It's going, it is going down. Yeah, it's going down. You're all right. It's going down. It's okay. Consequences were he had to go into hiding. Over 14 years in hiding. He had to flee from his brother. Literally, in fact, let me tell you what his brother said. Um, I'm going slightly out of kilter. It says in Genesis 27, 41, if we can get that up, it says, From that did what he did on, from the time that Jacob did what he did to deceitfully get the promise off Esau, to trick him, it says, From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing and Esau began to scheme I will soon be mourning my father's death then I will kill my brother Jacob his mum got wind of it his mum told Jacob again his mum getting involved you need to flee you need to get out of here he's going to kill you you need to run for your life go to my uncle's place and, and go there or your uncle's place go there my brother he'll look after you 
So he went, he ran, he fled, spent over 14 years, and God blessed him. God blessed him amazingly for those 14 or more years while he was there. Everything, his uncle, his uncle was just as bad uh, towards him. He was trying to scheme and get stuff off him and trick him and whatever. And Jacob would do the same back. It was an absolute mess. You read the story, it was just, they were both six of one and half a dozen of the other. Even his wife stole as they were leaving. Because eventually it got to a point and God said, says, let me go back a few verses, Genesis 31, 3 says, then the Lord said to Jacob, this is after Jacob, being, he's fled, he's, he's been in, in hiding for 14 or more years, and it says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Now, this is crunch time. This is crunch time. Because Jacob's told to return to the land of his father's. He's got to go home. And who's at home? Well, Esau's, he is and he isn't. If you read it and you really look into it, Esau's not quite where he's sent to go. He's actually in another place. But Jacob goes and meets him on the way. He actually goes out of his way to meet Esau. I would guess because he knew eventually it was inevitable he was going to have to come face to face with him. So he heads off, he heads back home, and he goes to the place where Esau is to go and to meet with him. And he's, he's clever, Jacob. One thing you can say about him, he's clever. And so he, he, he thinks about it, and what can I do? And he, he devises a scheme, and he sends his messengers, not himself, his messengers, to go and meet Esau and to tell him that he's coming. But he, he gives him strict instructions. He says, make sure that Esau knows I'm coming in peace. Too right, he's coming in peace. It's Esau not coming in peace. He's worried about not whether he's coming in peace or not. Some hope he's messengers off and he's probably, he's got some hope at this point that it's going to be okay until the messengers return. Until the messengers return. Listen to what the messengers say because this is the key key part of the story it says in genesis 32 verse 6 it says after delivering the message the messengers returned to jacob and reported here's what they said imagine just for a moment you're jacob you've stolen from your brother you've stolen his birthright your mum has come and told you 14 years earlier that he's kill you. He's biding his time to kill you. You sent just to try and send him gifts to help him out, to, to try and appease him. And here's the message that comes back from your messengers. We met your brother Esau and he's already on his way. Doesn't sound too bad so far, does it? It's not too bad up to this point, is it? We met your brother Esau and he's already on his way to meet you. Again, that's not too bad, is it? At that point, if we'd have just stopped there, he'd have had a good night's sleep and everything would have been fine. Except they didn't quite stop there. The next bit they said, have you got it up? I don't know. Can you already see it? You can probably already see it, can't you? Probably should have told you to hold off on that, to be fair. But hey, hold it up. With an army of 400 men. Boom. Literally boom. Not just boom. <laughs> he has that kind of, he freezes. 
suddenly there's that, you know, that feeling, that fear that goes right away through, to the tips of your fingers, through your body, the chest goes tight, it's, you, you, you're kind of panicking, you're thinking, what am I going to do, this, this is serious, he's probably thinking, not just about himself, to be fair, because I'm a dad, and if I, I'll be thinking about my family as well, he's thinking about his family, he's thinking about his wives, he's thinking about his children, he's thinking about his, his men, his, his, his servants, he's thinking about it all. Esau is on his way with 400 men. What this version puts it, an army of 400 men. But he's on his way with 400 men. Jacob was petrified. Make no bones about it. As you read what happens next, Jacob is petrified, panicking, worried concerned he's anxious he can't sleep this is the dark night of his soul ever had a night where there's something coming some of you in here know what I'm on about where you've had a night and you cannot sleep for fear and concern about what is going to happen what are you going to do how are you going to deal with this situation this is Jacob's dark night of his soul what is he going to do? Verse 30, chapter 37, verse 7 puts it this way. Jacob was terrified at the news. It says in verses 9 to 12, what Jacob did. What he did. And what he did is worth looking at. How he responded to this. In this moment, in his time of trouble, in his time of need, in his time of desperation, here's what Jacob did. Perhaps this is why God loved Jacob. It says, then Jacob prayed. You could stop there, couldn't you? He didn't go running around to his men to get weapons or whatever, or he prayed. Then Jacob prayed, O oh God of my grandfather, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, listen to my words carefully here now. He addresses God for who he is to him. Now listen carefully, because you could take that a couple of different ways. You see, a Muslim might say, well, you know, I'm addressing God for who he is to me. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I mean what God has revealed to him about who he is to him, what he knows. None of us has the full revelation of God. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said we see through a glass dimly. We don't know the full picture. We don't know it all. The Bible says if all the books in all the world, all of them, couldn't contain everything that Jesus did when he was here, let alone everything there is to know about God, the God who created the heavens, the God who created us, the God who created that baby in his mother's womb. Does his mother even know how he did it? So understand this, what I mean when I say this. Jacob addressed God. His prayer started by addressing him for who he knew him as. That was what God had revealed to him at that point. That was faith. 
That was faith, and it was mightily important because the promise was contained in that. Oh God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, my God too, my God too. He's reminding God, he's reminding himself, he's reminding his own soul of the promise that's on his life. Jacob could have killed himself at this point. He could have gone, you know what, it's all over. I'll hang myself, that will be easier. Judas did. Judas did it. Judas messed up. What was the difference? Listen, we could preach sermon after sermon on it, but there's a major distance. Judas just hung himself. He gave up. But Jacob didn't, and he could have done. But his faith rose. His faith arose. He said, oh Lord, you told me. You told me. You told me. It's faith. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on, let's have more of that. Come on. I was wondering when it had happened. <laughs> who, who had 11.52? Come on. Come on. I don't mean that about our visitors, by the way. I just mean that generally about the church. I'm not talking to, to people who are in, by the way. Don't think that. Return to your own land and to your relatives. Sorry, you told me to return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me I will treat you kindly. You promised me I will treat you kindly. Come on. Verse 10 says, and this is important. You know what this verse is? Is it up yet? Don't, if it isn't, don't put it up. Is it up? Yeah, leave it up then if it's up. It's my fault, I should say. Verse 10 says this. I, the two fast, the two good. That's what it is. The two good. The two good. Good job, guys. Seriously. Thanks, Dave. Is it Tracy? It's Tracy. It's Tracy. Come on. Thanks, Tracy. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. I would, I would title that the repentant part. I would title that, he's come to God in faith. You see, you, you know, you would have thought maybe the repentance should come first, wouldn't you? You know, if I was thinking someone had to go and apologize to or whatever, I might bow low, I might kind of... Oh, Eli, forgive me, I, I, you know, I, I was stupid, I don't know what I was doing, I'm so, so sorry. I might go about it that way. But Jacob doesn't, he goes about it, Eli, my friend, the man who said you would be with me right to the very end. <laughs> I, the man who said, Barry, anything you need, I'm there. <laughs> Just say the word, I'm there. That's what Jacob did. And then... He apologized. Then he, he went into repentance. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But the Bible says, you see, you can't get anything from God. Don't expect anything from God unless you come to him. How? In faith. In faith. So even though he probably felt like, like that verse 10, that was how he felt he didn't start his prayer like that. He started his prayer in faith. He started his prayer in what he knew to be true. What he believed in. Not how he felt. Not the feelings. But what God 
had said. Let God be true and every man a liar, including myself. Paul even said that. If anyone comes and preaches another gospel. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. And now my household fills two large camps. Do you know what that is? Remembrance. How many people, how many times does the Bible tell us about people, men of God, and men who weren't of God, who literally in their time of need, suddenly they couldn't remember what God had already done. All he could see was the negative and, and the doom and the gloom and, and the failings and what God hadn't done. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten everything he'd done. Forgotten all that God had already done for them. All they could do was moan and complain. Oh, but this and but that and but the other. Listen, you, there's some of you in here that are in a difficult situation this morning. I know that. I'm saying that prophetically. You could argue that, well, in the laws of statistics, there's got to be someone in here. But I'm not saying it from that point of view. I'm saying it because I believe God wanted me to preach this message this morning. That's why I'm saying it. And I'm sure some of you are in a difficult bind. But I'm not sure many of you are facing an army of 400 people coming to you. As far as Jacob knew, that's what he was facing. Verse 11 says, Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid. Come on, there's honesty. There's honesty. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. You know, I've been telling my kids recently and reminding them again. Praying with Charlotte, said it to the older three last night. If you're ever in trouble, if you're ever in need, if you ever find yourself in a difficult situation, you can always turn to God. Always. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter, nothing else matters. You can always turn to God. Always. And I say that to you now, church. You can always. He is God. He is God. And he loves you with an unending love. His thoughts are continually for you and about you. He longs for you. There may be times when it feels like he's disciplining you. There may be times when it's tough. But half of that time he's just trying to draw you to him. He says, he goes on to say this, he says, but you promise me I will surely treat you kindly. And I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. You know, I said earlier on that this message is about God's promises. You know, the vision that God gave us for this church, we've said it since particularly a particular vision about a year ago we've said it over and over to the people that we've shared it with in detail one of the key things about it is it's not about us it is not about us but it is about God and his promises it is about him and his promises he keeps his promises these are words of hope to some of you in here this morning 
God keeps his promises even when you don't. Even when you let him down. Even when you mess up. And you know what God did? He rescued Jacob. He rescued Jacob. Come on. He rescued Jacob. Then he met Esau face to face. The embraced. Esau was made up to see him. Esau wanted to bless him. And I believe God did that. God did that. God did that. Because it was part of the promise. Whenever it was that he did it, is irrelevant. God did it. He answered Jacob's prayer. And he did it. And he looked after him. And he kept it. In time of need, in time of trouble, turn and call on me. Call on him. Call on him. Look to the hills from where your help comes. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God loves you. Come on, church. Should we stand? Come on. If you believe that, come on. Let's praise him. Let's praise him now. Thanks, Adam. Bless you guys. Thank you. Come on, team. What a team. Aren't they amazing? Come on, encourage them as they get up. Encourage them. You know, it's hard at times for this team. They work hard. Come on, team. Come on. Encourage them by praising with them. Encourage by singing with them. We love you guys. Let's do it. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's lift the roof off this place. Come on, let's praise him. Let's maybe not lift the roof off because it's not quite ours yet, but come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah.